and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode 22. I am your host, Delton Brack, and with me today is my lovely wife, Haley. I am yellow player. She is the yellow player. Almost every game. I do purple if I can. It just depends on the day, and well, I guess what colors are in the game, really. I thought you normally did black. I like to do purple if it's available. If it's not, I usually do black or white or gray. It's so sad. I don't think it's sad at all. It just stands out more. Fine. I mean, I hate it when two people play blue and green, and then you can't tell the difference at certain times. That's really true. Man, Carcassonne is the worst about that. I mean, there are more colors in the rainbow than just those, like, five that it has. You think they could choose another color, but blue and green. Shut Up and Sit Down talked about that on their podcast they released today. Uh, and they talked about having, like, crimson and aquamarine and, like, jade. And actually changing the colors up and changing the shades up. And I thought that was really neat because it sometimes needs to happen. That's why I like it when games throw in a purple or a pink or something like that. We've come a long way from the black and white chess. Yes, yes, we have. Welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. We're a tabletop podcast talking about board games, card games, things like that. This is episode 22. This is September, officially. This is the 5th today. Woo! This will release on the 9th? Yes. I think that's Sunday. On my parents' wedding anniversary. Yay! In-laws anniversary. Just kidding, that's on Friday. Oh, well. I'm a bad child! So we're having a lot of rain right now in Edmond. Well, actually in the whole Oklahoma City metro. Like, we just got our flood warning about an hour ago. And anytime there's rain up here, so I don't know if it's all parents, but especially Delton I's parents back in western Oklahoma, they call us whenever there's a big storm or big rain and ask, is it raining up there? Which, of course it is. And today, you know, we had the flood warning, so Delton's mom called to make sure we were okay, and we were. My mom texted me and asked if we were okay as well. And so... I'm kind of a smartass, and I'm really surprised that kind of. I'm real, I get paid to be a smartass in my other job, man. Come on. Yes. But I decided that whenever she texted me, so she texted me and she said, hey, are you guys doing okay up there? I've heard there's a lot of flooding. I took a glass of water, placed it over my head, sent her a selfie that said I'm completely underwater, and I'm really surprised my 26-year-old ass hasn't been put up for adoption yet. Well, since we're married, I don't think they can put you up for adoption. They can disown you, though, which may be in your near future. Probably so. That means you won't inherit the Elk City KOA. I'm fine with that. There goes your dowry. I'm, I'm fine. That's my dowry? <laughs> <laughs> I think they were have supposed to paid up the dowry a while ago. Well, didn't Dad promised you that, like, right whenever we got engaged. Like, my parents bought the KOA whenever we were engaged, like, right before our big wedding. It wasn't then, was it? Yeah. Because I thought they bought it, like, a couple years after. No, it was it was right before the big wedding that Mom and Dad bought it because Mom was stressing out about getting it fixed up and having the wedding going on. I don't remember that at all. Really? Because Dad met yeah. with you and said that one day this will be yours, and you're like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who don't know, a KOA is the Campgrounds of America. And you have to say it with that young enthusiasm. Campgrounds of America! And it's essentially a campground where you can plug in your RV, rent a cabin, or buy a campsite. They usually have a pool. Sometimes they have different events. Well... Haley's parents have one, and I guess we're the heirs to the throne, and I don't really care. Heir to the Elk City Clinton KOA. Here's the thing. Mom and Dad have really vamped that thing up. When they bought it, it was like all 1970s vinyl trash, and Mom and Dad have flipped it, and it looks good, but still, I don't know nothing about owning no KOA. It's like owning a Geo Metro. I don't care how good your sound system is or how good it looks. It's still a Geo Metro. 
Love you, mom and dad. <laughs> they don't listen. It's fine. Today's beer. We're going to move this episode along. We are making tacos tonight, and I am making some seitan, even though it takes forever. Hail seitan. And so while it's in the oven, for the time we have, we're going to get this episode done. And then when it's ready to flip, we'll be done with this episode. It'll be good. Today's beer is through Sierra Nevada, which is a huge company that most people in the beer community know about. This is Bigfoot, which is their barley wine. Now, Bigfoot used to be seasonal. We have not seen it since 2016. Generally, it comes out in January. Yes. This is the 2014 edition, which means it has been aging for four years in the back of our fridge. Haley also has some 2013 aging under our wet bar back away from any contact with light, which is the best place to age beer. Or Haley, human beings who like to get into our refrigerator and take our beer. That Looking too. at you, Cody. Haley, why don't you explain the story of why we're still aging, or at least began aging, this Bigfoot? So whenever I graduated from Stillwater, uh, I was just now getting into beer. I'd been with Delton for about a year and a half. Stillwater is where Oklahoma State University is. That's where I did my undergrad. Um, Delton and I had been together for about a year and a half, and so I was getting in to beer drinking full-time because you're heading into grad school. You know what I mean? But I found this stuff called Bigfoot, and I bought a case. It was like 2014, and I drank it, and I loved it. And so I bought me another case. It's really expensive. It's like $18 for a four-pack. So I said, if I ever graduated from graduate school, I would drink that. And three years later, 2017, last May, I graduated. And the night of our graduation party, we cracked a couple, and all my classmates and I had a drink, and it was wonderful, and we still have two left. And we decided that tonight, you know, the last couple of weeks have been stressful with work and everything, and we just need to celebrate each other. So we're having a Bigfoot, and it's going to be a grand old time. I have it poured now. We're only going to do one beer, and here is why. Oh, the, the Bigfoot Barley Wine Style Ale is just a regular 12-ounce bottle, but it is a very high alcohol content bottle at 9.6%, which doesn't sound like a lot if you're a hard liquor drinker or sometimes a wine drinker that likes stouter wine. But for a beer, 9.6%, it'll kick you in the butt a little. The descriptor here says Bigfoot is a beast of a beer, brimming with flavor from massive amounts of roasted malt and spicy hops and brewed in the barley wine style with a rich, bittersweet body and whole cone Pacific Northwest hops. You have a rich, bittersweet body. Thank you. Let's uh, give this a shot. You take a drink first. I'm going to fill the gap here so I don't have to edit as much because there's actual things being said into the podcast. Whoop-dee-woo. Ooh. Has it got a little oh, to it? Oh, that tastes good. That is well worth the four years of aging. It's amazing. People don't realize. You guys should. If you have a beer you really love and it's a alcohol content, I would say over a six, age it, throw it in a dark closet in the back of a cabinet somewhere where absolutely no sunlight will touch it anymore and just let it sit and age. It will lose a little sweetness, but in doing so, it balances out in flavor, and it just improves the beer. Now, I wouldn't go under 6% alcohol content because the lower alcohol content beers tend not to age well. They tend to go sour after so many years and years of sitting around. But a barley wine like this at 9%, almost 10% alcohol, you can hang it, have it hanging around for a while. I mean, like the aftertaste tastes like honeycomb if you were to toast it. I can see that. It's got a little bit of the earthy, a little bit of an earthy tone in there, too. It tastes like burnt sugar. It's really good. This oh is already a good beer, but aged is even better. I forgot just how good this is. This is my first time to have this in a year and a half. I only have one left after this. No, we still have that four pack. 
but that's 2013, a completely different flavor profile. Well, very similar, but yes, there's going to be some differences in that. Let's just cheers again to this beer. Because it's such a good beer. Let's take another drink before we get into this. This beer is just like the game we're going to talk about today. So stinking good. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. Now with the beer poured, the Satan in the oven cooking, and our evening being a little more relaxed. Hail Satan! We are going to talk about a game that we've been kind of raving about with some of our friends. We picked it up at Gen Con. It is called Welcome 2. Now, if you go to look this up, it is Welcome 2, T-O, dot, dot, dot. That is the official title. Reason being, you are a city planner trying to plan a, a city, a neighborhood, three streets, technically. And you get to name them. So Welcome to dot, dot, dot is Welcome to whatever you name your three cities or three streets. So this game is originally produced by Blue Cocker Games. It has been brought, at least the English language version has, in 2018 from Deepwater Games. The game designer is Benoit Turpin. It is illustrated and graphic design work done by Anne Heidzeek. Uh, development was with Blue Cocker Games. The rules writing is Dominic Bowden. There's uh, Benoit Turpin and Loredana Chalot, is how I'm going to pronounce her name, is translation. And then proofreading and rectification, Sandra Grace, and English editing. Travis D. Hill. So Welcome To throws itself into the ring of roll and write games. Surely you've heard of the new craze, even though they're not new, the new craze of roll and write games. Now Welcome To breaks that mold immediately, which is what's so strange, is everybody calls it a roll and write. It fits perfectly into the style of a roll and write. However, it uses cards. What? Explain. So everyone has a sheet with three streets of houses. Like any street of houses, the numbers must go from left to right in ascending order. So two has to come after one. Three has to come after one or two. They have to be in an order. They do not have to be sequential. They do not have to be filled in one house uh, adjacent to the next. You can leave gaps. However, filling them in is going to get you more points. So you number these houses from left to right. You will build estates, which are groupings of houses that are numbered, whether it's one estate, a one-house estate, a two-house estate, a three-house estate, and so on, up to six. The way the game is played is there's a deck of cards that you shuffle. On one side of the cards, there's a number between 1 and 15. On the back side, there are powers. Now, what you do is you shuffle that deck, split it into three stacks of 27. Of those stacks, the very top card, you put them number side face up on the table. You flip the top one to show the symbol on each of those decks. So you will have three sets of a power, which is that symbol, and a number. On your turn, you pick which one of those you want to use. You write the number on one of your houses on your sheet, and then you may or may not, depending on what you want to do, utilize the power. That's the entirety of how you play the game in its most simple manner. You're going to look at these numbers, write them down on the houses. So your first house in your line, you would like to give it the number one. That makes most sense because anything can come after it. If you gave it a number 14, you would screw yourself over because your entire street now couldn't have anything under 14 to the right of that 14, if that makes sense. So if your first house on the left is 14, only a 15 can go on the right. So as you're putting these down, you're using these different powers. Uh, At the end of the game, there are multiple scorings that you go through and you list them out and add them up on the sheet. You have three goals that everyone is trying to achieve. The first person to achieve them gets higher points. Everyone else after that gets the lower point value. 
You have parks that you mark off to get more points. You have pools that you mark off to get more points. You've got your real estate property value that you can up to making your estates that you use the fence power on to make them worth more value. You have the temporary workers, which can modify a number up or down by one or two or zero. And whoever uses the most gets the most points, second most, second most points, etc. Then you have the biz, which the biz is the worst. You lose points for duplicating a number and making a, a house number 12 and a house number 12B. You then have roundabouts, which reset your street in the middle, provide you with two fences, lose you a few points, but then allow your street to start over. So on the left side, you go one through seven, you place in a roundabout. On the right side, you can now go one through 15 again. So that allows you more flexibility. You play these cards, you use these powers, you write down numbers. That's really just how the game works. The hard part is getting the details down and teaching. I think teaching has been the most difficult part of this game for us. But once everybody plays two rounds, I feel like everybody gets it. Definitely. Once everybody plays a couple rounds, they start to get it. And then by the end, they're like, all right, let's do it again. I want to try this again. I just kind of flew through the descriptor because I think you should find a good video to watch to really grasp the game. Because y'all aren't going to get it without Delton's magical hand movements. Yeah, I've already knocked the microphone stand once, which I think I'm editing out. I'll have to figure out if I can. It's a tough game to get, and so I'm not going to try to explain everything in super detail. Uh, basically, with roll and rights, you put a number down, you're going to mark off the lowest showing number, and then when you score, the lowest showing number is going to be your point value. So you're going to start covering numbers up and taking points for the numbers that are the lowest value number that's still showing, if that makes any sense at all. I think it does. You're doing a really good job. See, I make fun of Delton and his descriptors, but if you were to have me describe this game to you, which is why Delton always describes them. See, right now I'm going out of order in my sentence structure. Let me start over. If you were to have me describe this game to you, it would be me leaving 14 things out, not saying things in order, and eventually wrapping the conversation around the study of cats. Delton's actually a lot better at describing this than I am, but I still gotta give him crap because it's my job as his wife. She doesn't do a very good job. I think the one time she taught Smash Up, she taught it wrong, and I laughed pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good, but... I, I did teach my mom to play Sagrada while she was drunk on Christmas. Luckily, you've played Sagrada a lot to make that possible. She still didn't understand the snake draft, though. I just said plausible. <laughs> I meant to say possible, <laughs> and I meant to say plausible, and I said plausible. Put that in your definition book and smoke it. It's going in my definition book for sure. Plausible. <laughs> all right. All things are plausible. Remember that. And there's so many plosives. <laughs> so with Welcome to, it's a fairly simple game to understand. It's a simple game to play at its most basic. And understanding the abilities is the hardest part, but there is a cheat sheet. I will say we had some issues with the rule book on this one. Uh, one of the powers, the temporary workers, which are orange, in the book it says you can modify your number by one or two. On the cheat sheet, it so shows you can modify it by one, two, or zero. So effectively, according to the rule book, you have to modify your number to be able to mark it off on your sheet, where according to the cheat sheet, you don't have to use it to mark it on your sheet. Luckily, the one of the designers or the designer has clarified this on BoardGameGeek, so I run off of what his clarification was. I believe it was just one of those things that kind of got messed up in translation somewhere. I don't really know how else to approach it, but I think I know that can happen a lot with rule books that get translated from one language completely into another. We had that issue and we had one other issue that I cannot remember now. Um, I know there's one weird thing where it doesn't show 
an image of one of the advanced goals. And so I was looking for it and couldn't find it, but it was coupled in with something else, but it wasn't actually depicted. So there were a few small things in the rule book, but they really don't detract too much with a little bit of Googling. However, if you're like me and you go through the rule book all the way through and you're trying to be careful about it, it's a little annoying. But all in all, even with the incorrect rules, it'd be fun. It's a lot of fun. It's my new favorite game. Like, I really want to play it right now while we're finishing cooking the tacos. This would be one we should try to do a video of us playing it, because part of what makes this game so fun, and part of the reason I like Roll and Writes, at least the ones I've played, I've played Gonshern Clever, which you can get the app version now, and it is also on their website for free to play through the German website. You just have to look up the rules because you can't get them in English on their German website. That one's been really fun. And part of the reason those are so much fun to me is they're a challenge and you're constantly getting a score and then thinking to yourself or saying to yourself, I can do better than this. How can I beat this score? How can I top myself next time? So in Welcome To, there is no interaction with your opponents aside from who gets to one of the three goals first. That's the only interaction you're going to have. When you choose a number to use, everyone can use that number. No one has to say anything really. I mean, if everybody wants to be careful, yes, you can say, I'm using the 14, I'm using the real estate, and I'm marking off my three real estate spot. Well, if you're all good at the game and know what you're doing, you can just fly through it. It's all simultaneous turns. But it's so fun because you can challenge yourself, and it's like a little bit of a puzzle. I had the highest score of 109 until 10 minutes later when Allison beat me at 110. Yeah, we played a game. I got 108. Haley got 109. And then the next game, Allison was like, all right, I want to do that again. I didn't understand this one rule. And then she got a 110. And I was like, oh my goodness. So she's got the record right now for us. Speaking of Allison, you know what we should do? We should give her a shout out because she is our first ever Patreon backer at the level in which you get a shout out on the podcast. You get put in the videos and we shout her out on Twitter, which we did for the month. We sure did. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. Allison is a good friend. She's one of those friends that are just genuine and is always there for you. And plus, you know what else is cool about Allison? She's got the top score. Welcome to. She has a top score. Welcome to. You know what else is awesome about Allison? What? So she is doing our master's degree in museum studies. And she recently put together her first, I don't know what you call it, display? First. Yes. Whatever. She, she said it was called something and I can't remember for the life of me what she said it was called. There is an exhibit at the Edmund Museum called Housewives on the Homefront, which is an exhibit about how housewives basically held down the fort during World War II, where the god dang backbone of this here society. Well, Allison made her museum studies debut making a display of World War II in popular media today. So we're really proud of Allison. We should share that on our podcast and pictures of it yeah we'll try to post that on our uh, on our twitter page that way you can see just go look for it it's a there's a american girl doll is that what that is and there's like a dvd of uh boy meets world boy meets world and there's some books and, a and stack stuff of like that world war ii books like why in the witch in the world wardrobe just little bits and pieces from world war ii that are so prevalent in our culture today that they're still thrown in even like the one taylor swift where it's like a lyric from one of her songs loose lips sink ships is that what it was yes yeah so we'll i've learned that at allison's little display also, if you live in the metro, you should come see her display. It is free at the Edmund Museum, and she's awesome. Yes, yeah, so thank you, Allison, for being awesome and being such a good supportive friend. Let's drink to her. Yay, drink to Allison. Alrighty. So Welcome To is really awesome. Like I said, it's super fun. I think the challenge of it is what makes it so nice. It's a short game. takes us about 20 minutes to play. Even with uh, five people the other night, it was about 25 minutes. Now, the little sheets that you write on do come in like a stack, I think, of 100 and you just tear one off as you use it. I would recommend laminating a couple, 
and then just getting some dry erase markers and playing that way. I have not done that yet. I really need to because I will run out. I've seen some people print versions of the same sheet just blown up to a larger scale and then laminate them so it's easier to play on and read, but I want it to still fit in the box, and so I'd have to figure that out. But I do recommend doing that. But it's been a really, really fun game. I think one of the complaints people can have, and Allison even brought this up, is there is a lot of luck involved with what numbers come out. Now, most roll and writes, obviously, if you roll two dice, let's say, a seven is the most common statistical number, not the most common, it's the statistically the most likely number to show up between two six-sided dice. Now, since this game does not include dice, the cards do have a spread kind of similar, where the one and the 15, there's only three of them in the whole deck. The two and the 14, there's, I think, three, uh, four of them in the deck, and it does that up to, I think, eight and nine, something like that. So when you see a one, it's kind of beneficial to use it and not hold out for something to try to get the perfect combo of power and number. So luck is involved, but I think being that the luck is not drawing a card for your outcome, it's more that, you know, input of luck that we've talked about where the luck is in the beginning and then you have to work with it. I think that really helps make it not so frustrating. You just have to plan it. It's like a city planner. Exactly. That's exactly. You have to plan for the worst and things are going to come up. Exactly. And the only other thing is I like the cards over dice. I think if this were dice, I would feel more frustrated. Something about a deck of cards doesn't feel as frustrating, even when the chance or the statistics are not on your side. If you roll some dice, you're going to statistically get one number. If you draw the cards and they're split up like this, it's going to be the same kind of thing. But I feel like drawing a card isn't as frustrating. It doesn't feel as bad if it's not what you want. It's just kind of a thing that I've noticed here. But that's welcome to... We highly recommend it. I think we've played it six or seven times now. And so far, it has not gotten stale. I just keep seeing ways that I can improve or I keep trying new bits of strategy and things like that. Let's hold a little contest for our listeners. What's that? So the other night we played Welcome To. Dalton and I played with Brian, who has been on a couple of podcasts now, especially the Magic one, and Allison, our number one fan and contributor. And then also Brian's wife, Jessica. She was there as well. So we all played this game together. So we... Being that welcome to, you have to name your city. We all came up with our own unique names. So we're going to read off the five names of the five different cities. And I'd like you listeners to label whose city was who or which city was whose. Whoever wins gets a shout out on the podcast and we will make you a high five on Twitter. Bam. What if like five people do it? We got to shout all five people out. First person who does. Is it just guess one of them or guess all five correct? Guess all five correct. Oh, that works then. All right. If you can guess all five of these correctly, you can either email us, contact at malthousegames.com. Remember, Malthouse is M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. Or hit us up on Twitter. You can DM us or just tweet at us either way. And yes, we will shout you out on Twitter with a big fancy shout out. I'll even add in some audio in, in post. That way it sounds awesome and there's music and something cool. All right. So the names are, and these are all pretty funny. The first one, we have Lake Titicaca, we have the Mile High Club, we have the Mainland, we have Pleasantville, and we have the Jungle. I think those are all pretty solid names, and they're going to be kind of hard to choose between. Like I said, it's Brian from episode six, Allison from episode 10, Delton from all the episodes, Haley also from all the episodes, and Jessica, Brian's support system. I think this will be a good one to see if people get. I'm not going to lie, I can't even remember which one was yours. I know which one was mine, and I think I know which one was yours. 
But that's okay. We'll let them try to figure it out. The next episode, we will definitely talk about uh, who won if anybody submits. <laughs> we'll talk about that and kind of get some of our guesses and see stuff like that. But this game has been really awesome. We do recommend you pick it up. I believe it's out now completely. I think so, because I know they were playing it at Origins and they had it at Gen Con and they're going to have it at Essen. We picked it up from it was Nolan Nasser and Danny from Danny and Derek do board games. We picked it up and talked to them whenever we bought it, along with Hanami Koji. Those are both very nice people. They really were. It's really neat. These roll and write games are cool. They're kind of coming back as fresh. And the reason I say they're coming back is because even if you don't know it, roll and write games have been around for a really long time. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So for the topic today, we're going to talk about older roll and rights as well as the genre in general and kind of what it's trying to do. And personally, how I think this can present new opportunities in game design. So one of the oldest, most classic games that families love and that a lot of hardcore gamers hate is Yahtzee. I personally hate Yahtzee because it is just dice rolling and dice rolling. However, if you think about it, Yahtzee is like the original roll and write. You roll your dice, you get two re-rolls, then you write down or mark off whatever it is that you got. If you had a three of a kind, you mark that off. If you have a four of a kind, you mark that off. If you get a full house, you mark that off. You're rolling and writing. It's the original, basically. It's the one everyone really knows. It's just that no one talked about that as a genre of the game. It was just another dice game. I personally am not a fan of that one. However, it's the original. It's kind of what inspired, I feel like, a whole genre. Can I confess something? Go for it. I've never played a game of Yahtzee. Okay. We're not going to change that. <laughs> okay. But what I have played is a game called Nico. Have you heard of Nico? I have not. So I'm going to tell you all a story. Gather around the campfire, children. We're about to hear a story of yore. That was so bad. You're so bad. You should feel bad. <laughs> Fight me. Okay. So in the 1980s, my Aunt Mary, who goes by Barbie, was one of Grandma B's 22 brothers and sisters, right? So she's in Vegas. And Michael J. Fox, that Michael J. Fox, is sitting at a table somewhere in Vegas and says to his assistant, I'm going to find me a blonde and I'm going to buy her night. And chooses my Aunt Barbie, who I guess back in the 80s was hot stuff. Now she's a smoker, but so you know kind of how that goes. But I guess she chose my Aunt Barbie, who was a blonde, and paid her way throughout the night in her gambling. And that is the night that she learned how to play Nico. Now, I've been to Vegas twice, once as a gambling man, and I have never seen this game called Nico. But Nico is basically Yahtzee. It's the same dice rolling, push your luck, but with a sixth die. And basically, it's how my sister and I learned how to count and how to gamble and how to lose miserably at a game because our grandmother handed our ass to us from the age of four. I was going to sing the Back to the Future theme song, but I cannot think of it. So I just wanted to go back to the future, <laughs> back to the future, back to the future, but it didn't work out. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever told you that story. I don't think you have, but I also want the listeners, you guys at home, <laughs> you right there, think about this. 22 siblings. Some set of parents had 22 children. Yeah, I guess it was 21 siblings. Grandma B was the oldest of 22. Is the oldest of 22. Oh. She's still alive. And last week I called her trying to be a nice grandchild. You know what happened? She chewed me out because three years ago she gave me a brom sack full of cowboy erotica novels. And the day after, I donated them to the Salvation Army. She called me back last week and was like, Hey, Haley, you know those cowboy erotica novels? 
You should have had enough time to read them. I want them back. Now what am I going to do? Yeah, Haley gave those to Salvation Army, which in itself is hilarious. I don't need that kind of witchcraft in my life. I do not need my grandma's cowboy erotica novels in my house. That is how you get demons. But they make her feel funny. Direct her, quote from Grandma B, direct, age 88. Direct quote. Oh, <laughs> it's so funny. She's crazy. Um, yes, a Brahms sack, for anyone who doesn't know. We have a local chain that is a actual dairy farm here called Brahms. And we have a local chain of restaurants. It's more of a fast food restaurant, also grocer. They have their own milk and dairy and things like that. If you're a milk drinker, it's the best milk in town. When you go vegan like I did, it's sad to lose it. But Brahms is everywhere. We use their brown paper bags to carry pretty much everything we've ever carried in our life. Cowboy erotica novels, cat shit, moving materials. Yep. Everything. Take your books to class if you can't find your backpack. Just all the things you can think of. Yep. That is a Brahms sack. So, Haley, you played, you say it was Nico? As in, like, is that the Chinese word for cat? I have no idea. Is that not? Or is that Japanese Japan- word for cat? Oh, it's Japanese word for cat. I never thought about that, but it's spelled N-E-E-K-O. Oh, so it's like a bastardization of the Japanese word for cat. Hell if I know. The English version of transliteration. That's I don't not, know how it works. It's not the craziest thing to come out of that story. It's really not. It's really not. But Haley played Nico. I played, as most of you probably have, Yahtzee. These are kind of like the original roll and write games. They started with you rolling something down, writing something down, and you're done. They have advanced now to be so much more, but they're still fairly simple. You mark some things down. Those things can combo. You get points from here. You have special rules of how you mark things here or how you mark things over there. I feel like this presents a huge opportunity in board game design in general. There are games where you use dice and you get to utilize those to do something new. So I'm kind of thinking of when we played Coimbra at Gen Con where you have a die that you choose, you draft it, then you have three drafted dice by the end of a round, you buy cards based on where those dice are placed, then based on those dice's color, you move things. So I feel like it's starting to develop, like there are games that focus on dice. But I feel like if someone took this roll and write model and really pushed it and pushed the complexity, pushed its intricacies, you could really take a game and make it very intriguing with that. You forgot push your luck. Yes, and you push your luck, which is a huge thing. We love push your luck games. We have quite a few. But it's one of those things where I feel like this is a design opportunity to start to incorporate this style, not as a roll and write completely, but incorporating it into other games and other styles, even if it's not writing. Even if you roll dice or flip cards to then place tokens and move things around, it's kind of used, but I feel like you could, I feel like this is a direction that the envelope could be pushed to start to branch out and break some of the molds I feel like game design is starting to fall into. If that makes sense? Like, we have worker placement, we have roll and write, we have this, we have that. I feel like combining roll and write with other styles can start to push the mold a little bit and change it up. Break the mold? Break the mold. I I think you said... I said push the mold. You said push the mold and break the envelope. I said push the envelope. It's okay, but I think that's an opportunity. I could be completely off. I could just not know because... No, I think that's a good idea, honey. I don't know about a lot of games, so I'm not going to say that I know every game. I could be missing a game that's the perfect combination. You know a lot of games, though. I don't know that many compared to the whole scope of how many games there are, you know? So anyway, Roll and Write games have been around for a long time. They've been super fun for us to play, at least these new versions have. And like I said, Welcome To is really, really good, and we recommend that. But if you play something like Yahtzee and you find Yahtzee to be okay, or if you even have any enjoyment with that game at all, we would recommend finding a roll and write, whether it's Welcome to, Gonshurn, Clever, 
uh, Castles of Burgundy, the dice game. Istanbul, the dice game, I think works kind of similarly. I'm not 100% on that. I haven't actually looked into it. And there's a couple other that are really popular right now. But I recommend just trying those out, finding them, giving them a shot, and see if you like them. Seconded. Now, we do have a question for the episode, but this one is submitted actually by Allison, our number one fan and friend. Hi, Allison. So we're going to answer that one because this is the first time someone's given us a question to answer on the podcast that's not while the guest is here. So that's really nice. We're going to do that today. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special bite-sized question. So Allison's question that she had, one of them, was how do we decide, or more specifically me, since Haley really doesn't, how do I decide when to back a Kickstarter? I'm a gatekeeper. Haley's a bit of a gatekeeper for me in my Kickstarting. She's like, mm, you want this one? Hmm. Well, when I see $450 pending on the debit card. That has one not day, happened. What about that one time that you bought uh, CO2 and Pumpernickel? Not Pumpernickel. The yeah. Scarlet Pimpernel? Scarlet Pimpernel and Gentis Deluxe, Deluxe Edition in the same day. In action. Yeah. Uh, I mean, don't countdown. get me wrong. Those are some great games. But to see that pending on the account at the same day, on the no, same time. It was okay because I dropped the Scarlet Pimpernel. It, it was okay. All I did was CO2, Gentis Deluxified, and Countdown Action Edition. Which is fine. She likes to give me crap because she doesn't understand. But here's what it is. For me to back a game on Kickstarter, there has to be a couple things. The biggest thing is trustworthy publishing company or designer. If I see a game that's by a new designer I've never heard of and a company I've never heard of, it's obviously immediately going to get more of a, it's going to get more of a detailed look. I'm going to have to go through and do a little research into the designer, into the company, into who's putting it out, who put it on Kickstarter, things like that. So the name that it comes from does a lot for me, um, like today. I backed Bad Maps from Floodgate Games because it's coming out, and I thought that would be a good one. Yay! Yeah, so I thought that would be fun. It's uh, three players only, but, you know, it's a programming game, and everyone can everyone's program that they do can interact with other people. I think that's really cool. So I know Floodgate. I like Sagrada a lot. The company's been awesome. We know someone who works for them. Hi, Gates. You're our friend. Hi, we Gates. love you. Yay. And... Uh, it just it seemed like a fun game. We saw it at Gen Con. They talked about it, and I thought this would be fun. It seems like it's fairly light. We can introduce people to it. It'll be a good, um, just lighter game to bring out with families where everybody can kind of interact and screw each other over a little bit. So I think that would be fun. So seeing that, first of all, it looks good. I like the art design of it. So art is another big thing on Kickstarter, but people can use pretty art to push through a not as well designed game. There have been cases of this that I've heard about. I'm not going to drop any names or game companies or games or something like that. But that's something to watch out for is just because it looks pretty does not mean it's going to be your cup of tea. And it doesn't mean it's worth sometimes the price point that they throw on it for all the Kickstarter bonuses. Except in the case of me, I was pretty and worth Delton's price point. You're so lame. <laughs> that was bad and you should feel bad. You should feel bad. <laughs> you married this. That's true. So we've got the company and the names behind it is definitely something to keep an eye on. The artwork, as long as you enjoy it. I mean, if you hate the artwork, why would you back it? I mean, there are games that could be ugly, but still fun. I mean, Castles of Burgundy is not the best looking game, but I still find it to be interesting. But if it was just artwork that was not interesting to me, there's no way I would pick that up. It's one of those sort of things. Another thing to keep an eye out is just their past record. Have they successfully backed, uh, had Kickstarters? Were they successfully fulfilled? And, you know, go a little bit with the track record. 
obviously, sometimes they're a new company. It's their first game. It's a new designer. It's his first game, her first game. It's their first attempt. And sometimes those are worth putting the money and the trust into just to help people out because we want to grow the industry and grow it in the best way we can. And supporting people getting their games out is how you do that. So I have to keep an eye out for that. Aside from that, it comes down to mechanics. I'm not a big miniatures person. Like minis are always fun and I find them to be awesome like Rising Sun. But the game of Rising Sun could be played with absolutely no miniatures, just little tokens, and it's still going to be the same game. It's going to feel the same. So I find that miniatures aren't that big of a draw for me. Um, with Rising Sun, I went all in, but it also had expansions and bonus all things. All in. And Car new- payment oh, all shit, shit. in. <laughs> and new content, and it had you know the metal coins, and I did some upgrades on that. That was really my only big deluxe overspenditure. Overspenditure? overspending on a Kickstarter. (laughs) But minis aren't a big thing for me. They're not a big draw. So those types of games don't draw me in, which are some of the games that get big attention. But it really comes down to, do I like the game? Do I think the game's going to be fun? Do I think we're going to enjoy it? Do I think our friends are going to enjoy it? That's something I have to keep an eye out for. But sometimes too, it's just that I think the game's awesome. I wish I would have backed Escape Plan. Uh, Vital Lacerda and oh, Eno Tool. Yes. That was the one that I just didn't have the funds for it in August. After Gen Con, it wasn't something plausible, especially at the, you know, like $70, $80 price point, where bad maps, shipping and all is like 30 for the basic, which comes with all the Kickstarters. It just doesn't have like the tokens or the metal coins, which is fine. So, you know, there's a big discrepancy there in what's doable and what's not. And so it also comes down to budget. If a game's $200 on Kickstarter and that's not in your budget, it's just not worth that kind of effort when it's potentially going to hit the market later. Go for something in your budget as well if that's something that you want to do. Or if you're really, really wanting to support that company, you can still give money to the Kickstarter without buying the game. Oh yeah, you can always throw in a dollar, five bucks, three dollars, two dollars, ten bucks, whatever, without receiving the game. I know some people don't like to do that. I've done it a couple times just to help people out a little bit, but uh, that's definitely an option. You can support them, see a little bit of the backside story of them going through production process and things, but that's also something. So in terms of buying it, it's a mix of everything for the reason I would back a game. And I mean, sometimes it's just this game looks awesome and I can't deny it. I just want it. I mean, there's always going to be that game that grabs you and you can't figure out why, but you get it anyway. So there's a lot of things that go into why I would back a Kickstarter. And I feel like I've been really good about being selective because there's been a lot of Kickstarters that look interesting. But it has to come down to, I feel like I'm going to love this game. And that's usually where my line's at. If I don't think I'm going to love it before I back it, I'm not going to back it. And I think that's just what it comes down to for me. I'd back it if it were my friends. Tanks. I feel like I ranted for so long on that. <laughs> that's okay. Well, but- you, you, you do most of the backing for us. And mostly Delton buys a game and I'm like, all right, sounds cool. And Dylan's like, I'm going to learn this game. I'm going to teach you it. And I say, oh, it sounds cool. And we play this game. Like, oh, this game was cool. Like, that's basically my role in it. Dalton's the one who seeks out the new games. And so for me to contribute to a Kickstarter, I would probably, it would probably be a friend. Like, I was going to talk to Dalton today about contributing to Floodgate Games' bad maps because Gates from Floodgate Games, marketing director, awesome person, is a good friend of ours. And so I want to support her and what she does. And so I think that being that the board gaming industry is such a close-knit industry, for me, for the designer to have been nice and kind, and I mean, not necessarily a friend, but just friendly, that would make me more likely to back their Kickstarter. Yeah, if you have a personal interaction with somebody, uh, and it's a genuine, kind interaction, it's going to make you go, oh yeah, 
They were super nice. I think I could throw them a couple bucks to help them out. Like Travis from Brouhaha Games. Yeah, we we uh, backed his pumpkin patch, Bad Seeds. Yeah. Um, I actually finished the Pledge Manager today, and I got the little $3 promo pack that has, like, Cinderella and the three three stepsisters. Oh! But it's all pumpkins, and the wicked ones look super wicked with the different hair. of the, It looks really cool. But Travis was really nice. We met him at Gen Con. We hung out for a couple of hours after recording of the podcast. He was a cool guy, really nice guy. So that really motivated us to want to support him in his endeavors because everybody who's on kickstarter i mean i assume is a hard worker and really has a passion for what they're doing but if that person is also nice and friendly and you establish a good relationship with them i want to support my friends and so i'm going to try my best yeah exactly i think that's a really good way to look at it and that's that's what kickstarter's for supporting your friends supporting people you want to support and boost up and people that make things that you like kickstarter is for more than just board games even though board games are a huge percentage of what they do like now, a lot. Like like 30% of their total revenue or total money that went through their site last year, I think, was board games, something like that. But I think that answers the question for Allison pretty well. That was a long-winded version, but I felt like it needed extrapolation into the different like facets of what I look at, how I come about it, and things like that. And that's not even getting into how I feel about stretch goals and add-ons and things like that, but that's a whole nother conversation. That is like four podcasts in one. That's a whole topic in itself. I think that's going to do it today. We've only got a few minutes until the oven is done with the seitan so I can flip it and Hail finish Cezanne. it out. That way we can make our awesome tacos tonight. So if you liked this episode, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. That really helps us out, helps people find us, and it makes us feel good that people are saying that they enjoy our show. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Like and subscribe on YouTube. On every single one of those, we are at Malthouse Games. Find us on SoundCloud, subscribe, like our tracks, and listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever you can find us. It's Malthouse Games everywhere. If you want to email us a question or any concerns or anything at all, it is contact at malthousegames.com. I am on social media, Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. Haley's is... Squirrely Geek, S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That's at Squirrely Geek. Thank you for listening to the wonderful episode 22. So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you guys next time. Toodaloo! Bye!